After discussing Molinox Ostertag's many webcomics on last month's episode, we turn our attention towards her most popular work, the Witch Boy Trilogy. Both written and drawn by Ostertag, the middle grade urban fantasy series tells the story of a boy wanting to learn magic in a family where only the women are witches and the men are shapeshifters. The central metaphor makes the series a story about coming of age in general, but more specifically about growing up as a queer person as Ostertag transposes the rules of our society in a world of magic and monsters. Join us as we follow Aster's adventures facing off against fire-breathing demons and Jedi norms alike. Welcome to Extra Issues. Hello and welcome to Extra Issues, the comic book reading club, where we choose a theme and then read a selection of comics that fit that theme. I'm Zach, and all I really want to do is play women's lacrosse. Uh, I'm joined by Charlotte, who is a tyrannical um, matriarch who won't allow me to express myself by being on the middle school girls lacrosse team. Charlotte, um, why are you so repressive of gender roles? Um, it's because I'm very bad at sports and I'm, I'm just not letting you do any sports. Like it doesn't have anything to do with it being the girls team. I just hate sports. That's it. <laughs> you did say, uh, it's probably because it's a lot of 12 year olds and I would physically dominate them all, but I think that's kind oh, of Oh no, I, I thought the 12 year olds will beat you up. Well, I mean, that's debatable. I'm pretty sure I could kick all of their <laughs> asses, but, um, I think that's what makes me a really valuable member of the team is that I'm, you know, at least two feet taller than all of them. Uh, we're talking about the Witch Boy trilogy, which, uh, if you haven't gotten from Charlotte's intro, it's about how women, specifically lesbians, want to keep the boys down, I think. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I did imagine, like, a reading of that. That's, uh, of this that's book. a reading of it. <laughs> of, like, yeah, just another another book showing how women hold all the cards in society. Like, because, uh, it, you know, it's such a fantasy world uh, here that, like... I could. I was just picturing the worst faith reading of this comic and kind of chuckling, yeah. inventing a man and then getting mad at that man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, your Twitter is missing you with that that sort of takes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's it's always weird when you have a a fantasy world written by queer people and that like have queer metaphors, but still have queer people in them. And, like those two things gem weirdly. Um, but sure, like, yeah. I think it works. Yeah. 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 Oh, I I think so too. I don't I don't think it actually like <laughs> feels messy in that regard. Uh, oh yeah. No. Sure. So we we talked about uh, Molly Knox Ostertag's web comics last time. We're talking about all three books in the Witch Boy trilogy, which is I think the Witch Boy, the Hidden Witch, and the Midwinter Witch. Um, it's kind of interesting as a trilogy because it doesn't actually feel too much like you know like the beginning, middle, and end of a trilogy or an arc. It kind of feels like three episodes in a longer series like i wouldn't be surprised if a fourth one just came out and was continuing this um yeah i, I mean i don't know how how much of it is true but like i it feels like the first one worked and so she like had ideas for sequels but like yeah. if it hadn't worked it would just have said one because like the first one tells a full story that doesn't necessarily need a sequel no it did. Um, but that being said i think the both sequels work pretty well yeah it doesn't leave like cliffhangers or anything it feels complete yeah, exactly. complete on its own um, these are all three of these are nice breezy reads i think they'll take about half hour half an hour each probably for an adult reader um yeah you uh you can get them i think they're available uh you might be able to get them on hoopla your library app or um through i bought physical copies they weren't that expensive and uh yeah they're, they're available wherever you can get comic books your local library um they like charlotte said during the introduction they are about aster who is a boy raised in a small society of magic users where the type of magic you can perform is gender dependent so boys get to shapeshift uh, into animals and girls get to do kind of a larger field of magic using like runes and stuff um it, it doesn't dive too much into like you know the I, I think she intentionally avoids trying to like root it in 
any particular like culture or anything like the the boy shape-shifting isn't trying to tap into some kind of like skinwalker thing or the I, I don't know like no it's more werewolfy if anything yeah like, so i think she wants very to old european magic more yeah. than anything else with also like I, the a, a magic sim that's kind of based on on ta, ta, wait i don't know how to say that in english i'll just say it in french tarot yeah tarot um, yeah. with like you Which have the, the black cups, rose the, yeah exactly yeah absolutely it's a big reference to to that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah um no yeah like it's um it's it doesn't try to do native american magic in yeah which is which uh, is to its benefit. very old old european sorcery I, I think I made... I can't remember what I made this reference to, but there's... Have you ever watched Broad City, the Comedy Central show? Nope. There, There's a line in that where the main character is talking about, like... She's daydreaming about, like, uh, a future world where she's like, where everybody's going to be caramel and queer. Um, and she's kind of being, like, glibly <laughs> liberal. Like, the joke is that she's kind of... Yeah. Uh, but, like, it is funny because it kind of describes some of these, like, YA comics <laughs> that are, like... Yeah. That actually, I don't... I when I kind of see this kind of like I don't know like this is a tough line to walk because I don't want to sound like I'm you know like ag- against uh you know a multiracial multigendered you know pansexual no no yeah please utopia. tell us how the 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 witch boy should have had only white people in, <laughs> and <three laughs> right. people in it <laughs> I'm specifically like pretty fine with it when it's for children because representation like this is generally pretty for children right like it it, it, she even talks about this but like that kind of like seeing yourself on the page if it's not like necessarily diving into identity issues and like trying to be hyper specific about you know like the experience of being you know whatever nationality or ethnicity or gender or whatever um if you're kind of just doing this like uh you know rainbow coalition thing i think for children like that's where this works for me when it starts being like this is the kind of thing they do it in like adult stuff i kind of roll my eyes a little bit because i'm like who's this for like when you kind of have this fantasy world of uh you know like 65 percent of everybody is like gender queer and brown um because like i i guess yeah i don't know what am i getting at here <laughs> Charlotte, save me. Yeah, I don't know. Good question. <laughs> well, no, I, I guess no, I, mean, I, I wanted to talk about like representation. I see what you mean in, in how it like it can feel artificial in in some ways. Like when you you're watching a show and like you have a cast that's like all characters of different ethnicities, uh, and like every time a new character gets introduced, it's like they're from a different interest, ethnicity that we haven't seen yet. It feels like very checkboxy. Yeah, it, um, yeah, but like sure, I. Yeah. It, it's it's also that to I me kind the problem of, is more that it can feel artificial, but I don't think I don't know I don't think that's necessarily an issue with fantasy worlds where like most people aren't white because like that's no no fant- especially if we're talking like I fantasy think, like Star Wars yeah or, pure fantasy yeah. Ur- urban fantasy where the world has to follow similar rules to our world like I mean it depends in what society it's taking place but like I I can see the argument of like it can feel weird if that doesn't it's not necessarily representative of what actual people look like in that city but even then like it's i don't know i i, I can't find an example of it actually mattering in a, in a story that i've read and i was like oh that's that's weird or that's like keeping me from appreciating this story like i i i can see what you mean in regards to it sometimes feeling artificial but i I mean, I don't know. I don't have an example of it. I think it's actually being a detriment to, to a good story. Well, I think, like, Marvel and DC do this a little bit. And I, I kind of want to, like... <clears throat> I do want to be, like, kind of careful about how I word this and not be too glib. It, it's... I think it's because I... My... And it is a very mild irritation, to be clear. This is something yeah, that yeah. I think, like, ruins it. Or I feel like I have to slam this shut and get mad because somebody was trying to be, like, too inclusive. Um, <clears throat> I think it's because... I think the like the idea of representation in media um, has become so like like the conversation to me is odd because I feel like representation on its most basic form where it's just like seeing yourself on screen or on page um, is largely for children in my view right like if you if like if I want queer stories like for adults it's gonna be more than just being like well you know here's a a story that's not about being queer but it has queer people involved it's like i don't i'm not opposed to that i'm not like being like oh you're being political because there's a bisexual character in my marvel movie but like that is not 
that's not queer media, <laughs> right? Like if when Black Panther 2 has a queer couple in it, like that's to me as an adult, if you're like, oh, yes, queer representation for me, an adult, I'm like, well, okay. Like I kind of feel like being like, yeah. okay, but go actually, you know, engage with real queer art for children. I'm kind of like, yeah, that's good because it's nice and aspirational and you get to see yourself and it feels like normalizing. But I feel like, I, I don't know, I, this is a little my personal like viewpoint and and I don't want to like really invalidate anybody who feels something, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. seeing themselves on screen. You know, if like if you're a black person who saw Black Panther and you're in your 40s and you still felt something just by having a black superhero, I don't want to like take that away from you. But I guess it kind of feels like the most bare bones, like, kind of frictionless in somewhat infantilizing way that, like, big corporate media oftentimes tries to do representation. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. feel like you're specifically talking about that happening in the context of corporate media, of mm-hmm. corporate art. Yeah. Like, yeah. the example of Black Panther speaks volumes to that. Um, like, same thing as two women kissing in the background of uh, of the rise of Skywalker that you can cut yeah, for the Chinese right. or yeah. release. But, like, I feel like in the context of a YA story written for like an independent comic book um, editor by a queer person like that's i feel like the context is very different so that it's almost a different discussion it's for kids too which is why i guess but but even like i feel like just to be clear i'm contrasting all that against this which is where when i read this i had none of that like cynicism because i'm just like yeah molly knox has to writing this to that end i will say that maybe kind of the I don't know. The reason why that is is that most most corporate media is made to be watched by kids. <laughs> yeah, um. <laughs> well, and, but yeah, I guess so. Maybe I'm almost like just reacting to like adults getting too excited about seeing, yeah. you know, that kind of like really, really sanitized, stripped down representation. I'm like, you know, I guess it's like people getting excited about, you know, like the rise of Skywalker as an adult. It's like, yeah, for a kid, like a little you know, 12 year old lesbian who like sees a queer kiss on Rise of Skywalker and is like, oh, okay, that, I guess it's okay. Like, great, fine. Like, I'm not, I'm not mad at it in any regards. But I guess when like people, adults cheer it on for themselves, like I feel seen, I'm kind of like, yeah, go watch like Paris is Burning. Go watch, you I mean, know, like yeah, a Celine no, I, Sciamma I get, movie, right? Like, I definitely get that annoyance. It's like, it feels like just grown ass adults falling into the trap of, of greedy corporations that don't care about them. She's like, you, you know, you know, this is laughable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the in, same time, I, mean, I, I feel like I am being a little like trying to like step on someone's fun a little bit, you know? Because like, if you're an adult and you get a little like fun from watching Steven Universe, and you're like, oh, this this feels nice. Like, I wish I had this when I was a kid, and it feels good to indulge in it. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't want to like, I I I I guess it's you know. I'm kind of a mixed mind because I don't want to like say, oh, you're wrong and stupid and a child for enjoying that. Um, I mean, I think where I, I mean, where I sometimes get annoyed at that is like mixing up good representation and good story. Like just because a, a story has good representation of like queer characters, characters of color, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, doesn't mean it's a good story necessarily. And I think like pe- I feel like people who talk about media sometimes conf- conflates the- those two things, and like it's a good story because it has like re- good representation in it, and like that's not enough. Yeah. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a um, complicated conversation, a conversation about like literally all of media. <laughs> yeah. Well, and-, and not just about those three, the three, those, those three graphic novels. And like read, Steven, but, yeah, I mean, Steven I- Universe I is actually an example where I think it does a really good job of being like it is both kind of just normalizing representation and at the same time i think it tells some like really interesting and somewhat like nuanced and grounded in reality queer stories that are made a little more palatable for children but are not like yeah like there's some real interesting identity stuff going on in those those shows and you know what i think the witch boy trilogy kind of gets there too so like yeah (laughs) i kind of i kind of like what this does um in that regard I think, like, it doesn't feel like it's talking down to kids. I think that's one of the, like, biggest things I like about it is it feels really nicely... Like, it doesn't feel like this is trying to reach 25-year-olds or 30-year-olds, really. Like, this isn't... This doesn't really feel like it's made for me. It feels like it's made for teenagers and, like, 12-year-olds. But at the same time, I think it's, like, sturdy enough to be still enjoyed uh, by, like, by adults. Um and it like yeah i i don't know like what do you think did did this like land for you in the same way yeah i mean listen 
to, to what you just said, I, yesterday evening I watched the Super Mario Bros. movie, okay. uh, the animated one that just came out. Did you see yeah, Dungeons yeah. & Dragons um, yet? Did you see Mario over Dungeons & Dragons? It's not Dragons? an... Inf- it's not in France yet. Okay. So if it had come out in France before, I would have watched D and D before. But like the D and D movie is very fun. Just a I know. I'm I'm going to watch it yeah. next week. But ju- just say the Super Mario Bros. movie. It's a movie for kids, mm-hmm. and I yeah. watch it, and it's it's fun. It's enjoyable, but it felt like as now an adult, I it felt really weird, kind of, to be sitting here in the cinemas watching it. Mm, like I've been getting that lately. I feel like yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I felt like yeah. oh, I'm not. I'm not supposed to be here, but like not because it's an animated movie for kids, but because it's an animated movie for kids that doesn't have much more to say than just being for kids and being funny. Um, whereas like other animated movies for kids, like Puss in Boots 2 or, or Spider-Verse, have that, make yeah. you feel something, yeah. like they're about something. And I think like the Witch Boy trilogy is working in those lines. Like it is aimed at kids and it's not aimed at both kids and, and adults in the way that like for example Marvel movies are mm-hmm. like trying just yeah. to appeal mildly to everyone um, I think it's v- it's very much targeting kids it's like like we said in the intro it's a movie that is it's a sorry it's a c- comic book that is centered around a central metaphor for queerness but I think the fact that, that it is a, ma- a metaphor I don't know I felt like it worked it was vague, maybe not vague, but it was fan- like magical and fantasy enough that uh, it could appeal to, to non-queer kids. Yeah. I don't know. It, no, I, it no, feels I, like I, it I, is a story about coming of age and growing up and face- facing social expectations mm-hmm. overall. Yeah, and you can, and you can apply that. And it has that, that specificity about, about queer people, but yeah. I mean, there's moments here where it feels specifically about being gay there's moments where it feels about like it's talking about being trans there's moments where it feels like it's talking about being uh like a racial minority right like it kind of dips its toes in all these different things but i think it stays light on its feet and ambiguous enough that you never feel like the weight of the metaphors overruling the characters and the situation in the story um and and it doesn't get the mutant problem either that like where the fantasy part contradicts Mm -hmm. what it's trying to talk about i feel like uh, which is like a hard, I don't know, a hard road to walk, I yeah. guess. Yeah, well, in, in compared to what we talked about last week or last month with um, The Darkest Night, is that what it's called, Darkest yeah. Night? Not The Darkest Night. Darkest Night, uh, yeah, Darkest the Substack Night, yeah. comic, where I kind of felt like the metaphor was secondary enough to, to the specificity of the characters that I yeah. kind of wished it would be scrubbed out. Uh, here, it's so, like, baked in and integral and is kind of the main event that, like, it works great. So, like, in contrast to yeah. that, like, this is the other side of that coin for me. Um, oh, just just a note, because, you know, I, th- I think, like, coming at this and being like, oh, yeah, it's about being queer is a really valid reading. But Molly Knox Ostertag, I read an interview where she said she is not out at the point um, where she started writing this. She had not, like, come out yeah. as gay yet. Um, and so this was, like, kind of her processing some, like, gender issues and feeling like boxed in by gender uh, a bit right yeah. so like i i think even just on the like a slightly more simple level of just being like i'm you know i'm a cis boy who still is frustrated by like the social norms that i'm like the the box i'm placed into by that right because at no point does aster you know like aster does not come out as queer or trans or non-binary or whatever here like it's purely that like yeah. Aster just is a boy who wants to do girl magic, right? So I think, like, you know, this whole story could just be about, like, I'm a boy who wants to do ballet and my friends laugh at me because that's a girl thing to do. Yeah. And I think it helps that the... There are, like, there are examples of queer representation in the comic. Like, some... Esther's aunt, like... Esther's aunts are uh, two women in a couple with with children. His best friend has two dads, and mm-hmm. like there's a, a queer relationship to to towards the end between two of the the male the main female characters. But like all of that is very either background or very casual and not really never the focus. And I think it helps the the metaphor breathe in a way yeah. by yeah. not having any focus on queerness on actual real queerness well she lets the strife Um, all like the strife and the trauma and the you know stress 
of these identity issues is through the metaphor and not through yeah exactly ri- so which, which is you know kind of i guess could be of two minds you could be like this is sugarcoating it for kids but it also this is for like if this was an adult story that was doing that and it was like being black and queer is fine and you know you look can, no one bats an eye at you if you're a black queer man but like if you try to practice magic as a boy like if this was for adults i'd be frustrated but like for children yeah. i think it's fine you know yeah. like it can kind of normalize one thing while trying to like express cathartically the like frustrations and the pains and struggles that like kids might be feeling so like yeah and me, yeah. like there, there's a part of me that's like <laughs> i don't know that feels hypocritical um yeah hypocritical mm-hmm. in the way that like if i was reading a similar thing from an author i knew to be like cis straight whites i maybe a part of me would be a bit annoyed that they're only doing it through the metaphor and not having actual queer also that like there are queer queer characters but no i think there's always a part of me that approaches a story different even the same story knowing that it's told by a, a queer person and knowing that it's it's told by a straight white a straight cis person um even if like the the quality of representation is the same and I, I know that like maybe part of me would have been more annoyed that like the actual queer relationships in the comic are very background and and like euphemized um and not like not the focus mm-hmm. uh because i don't know it's like maybe a, a kind of hypocritical of me and i that's something i realized while reading the comic is like if i didn't know anything about the author or i, or I thought the author was like a straight guy i'd be like oh he could have done more like why do we have to hide in everything behind a metaphor um which i don't know i, I don't know if that's something you thought about but like yeah i don't know it made me no. realize yeah it's, it's not but you know, know. <laughs> everyone has their own baggage or yeah. however you want to call it that you bring to I, I mean you know it sets expectations right like you know yeah but i don't have that as much but i also don't have quite as much like guard built up <laughs> you know it's like yeah, i can see also, walking yeah. into it feeling like <laughs> slightly <laughs> okay i can let my guard down a little bit because this is a queer woman writing this you know yeah. so like i can feel a little bit more like i can trust what's happening and nothing's gonna come out of the dark and like stab me in the back <laughs> um, yeah, like you might is, you i mean know, the, if like although, dan like, slot was writing know, this yeah, right, right. Uh, you would oh, like you'd boy, yeah, constantly no, be on edge being yeah. like okay when's the you know like casual sexism gonna show up uh-huh yeah no um, holy hell yeah sure. when Okay, so the, well, I mean, the, the thing also that helps is, like, the metaphor, I think, feels, it's, it feels really strong. It's really strong because it feels like she is getting at, um, like, really specific emotional beats. It, it, get, it dives into, like, the, like, the inner struggle of Aster and then some other characters later in a, a specific enough way that even if it's not explicitly a queer story or or whatever it feels like it applies really well so it doesn't feel yeah um, i'm trying to think of like i feel like we just read a story that felt like really vague in that stuff and it kind of felt like it was about so like vague enough in its metaphor that it felt like it was about nothing probably an x-men story <laughs> Yeah, guess. sure, right. X-Men does that all the I mean, time. Look at the like... recent episodes. Uh... I mean, the, the stuff with the AIDS, like the, uh, was it Legacy Virus? Is that what it's called? In the 90s? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it like so, it wanted to like dance around it so much that it was like, if you wanted to get into the specific, like it, it was missing that specificity of feeling that at least could like link it in a way that didn't feel callous. Okay. Um, but this does. So like one of the, one of the, character beats that i think is like really sharp and astute is that aster is a boy who is pressured to become a shapeshifter but secretly just wants to be a witch casting like quote-unquote girls magic and so like he keeps sneaking into the classes and trying to like do magic secretly on his own and like he doesn't really want to become a shapeshifter but at the same time he really wants the shapeshifting to work for him for a long time yeah. in the first book and eventually he gives it up when he can like embrace his embrace his witchiness fully but i think that's a really like sharp observation of even though he's not really interested in shape-shifting the pressure to be like normal is still so high that like you know he desperately wants it to still happen for him even though he doesn't he, yeah. he doesn't want it for so it's like this there's two desires in him one internal and one external, right? So, like, the shape-shifting is this external pressure to become, you know, the norm and to fit in. So, like, 
you can apply that to and then, and then one's internal of what he actually wants to do he's got these two desires and one's driven by anxiety and one's dr- driven by you know passion and the the wanting to to be who he is so like you can overlay you know like heterosexuality people who like want to force themselves to (laughs) like i think that's a very common feeling for someone who is in a you know who hasn't come out yet right feeling like yeah i tried for a long time to be straight and like and i just so desperately wanted to be straight because i didn't want to face having to be gay and all the strife that comes with that once you come out of the closet it's stressful and hard to do or trans or whatever like i think that's like a really a good enough observation and hones in on it tightly enough that it feels um even if you're not saying like this is exactly what the metaphor is for, it still works because you can recognize that in a lot of different, you know, struggles that people have. Yeah, I think I, it's also interesting that the like we we've talked about the central character of Aster and like what the the metaphor is very tied to him, but also it's it's spread across the uh, the other characters, which it would, like it's not only in him. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the like his grandmother is the kind of the matriarch of the family. Um, and she, by the end, we learn that she has been hiding that she is also a shapeshifter, like, and that Aster isn't the only person that's not doing the magic that his gender is supposed to he's, he's supposed to do. And the antagonist for for the main book, for the whole book is also also like that, her her brother. And I think like showing that, showing that it's present in other people, and especially in older people. But that they've learned to to hide it to survive basically mm-hmm. is yeah. is very interesting and very I don't know pertinent to to queer identities. Um, yeah, I yeah. like I thought I had was like I don't know, maybe it's just because of watching Encanto, but I was expecting the easy route of the grandmother being the one that puts the pressure mm-hmm. because she's the one that leads the the community. Um, which like I think it's interesting that she didn't go that route. That's like kind of I don't know trope. Well, she, she puts uh, but it on the, the parents, same... which, you know, is, is still like yeah. a trope, but it's a true one. So, like... But at the same time, it felt like just from um, I don't know, construction of the tension in the series, it felt too easy. Maybe I, I don't know. It felt a bit too easy that, they, that like the matriarch of the family is already on the main character's side. It's like, I don't know how, like... Just I don't know how to formulate it other than like it just makes the conflict too easy which i don't mm. even think is true really for for the most part it's it's a, i but guess like, it's a little bit of a deus ex machina kind of at the very yeah, end for the of. grandmother to sweep in and be like you know i have authority here you know or the respect of everybody and look i'm also this and i yeah. never was able to express it i i think it, yeah i it didn't bother me but i can see what you're saying and like i think it's expressed a little more um uh, like a, a little better through the um the grand like the grandmother's brother right so the yeah. great uncle um who is like aster also who was like basically just like aster when he was a kid and then you know like the the i mean that's that's another thing that works really well is the few people who are not allowed to express themselves fully and how it causes them to like lash out and inward right you know which i think like yeah. is a very probably common feeling of I feel in a box and that's, you know, causing people to either self-harm or lash out at everyone around them. Um, yeah. So I think like that all works really strongly and yeah, yeah, I guess I yeah. can see that. I, I think maybe I just kind of liked, you know, it was nice to have someone in her corner and I think the, No, yeah, like, I mean, I, I agree. It's like, it's it's not even a fully formed thought for myself, I think, because like, I don't even think the conflict feels too easy reading the actual book, but that just felt like a, a surprising choice, I guess. It, it's a um, little bit I, of a like, like neat, ending to the first book I'd, I'd give you that yeah 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 and uh which i guess also happened in the second book as i was like i don't know the re- death by redemption is always a, a trope that kind of irks me or like kind of annoys me because i've seen it way too often and the fact that the the brother finally gets his redemption by sacrificing his life for 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 the friend is like i know it's like it's then again like it's a story for children i'm yeah being it's a broad too... it, it's definitely like a broad strokes trope yeah right? and, exactly. and solving of a problem that's a little tougher to, yeah. to deal with you know well you know what it, it is interesting thinking like is I, I was thinking of steven universe a lot reading this yeah but i actually kind of think steven universe sets up some of the similar um similar tensions and similar like conundrums yeah. for the characters but i actually think then dodges going for the easy way out of like 
oh, well, the bad guy redeems themselves by killing themselves. And they would be like, no, the really bad guy somehow is still converted. <laughs> and yeah. and then has to go through the next season, you know, redeeming themselves, right? Like, sets you up to be like, oh, they could never redeem themselves because look how bad they were. And then, you know, oh, no, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen will spend the next 30 episodes trying to, like, help yeah. someone redeem themselves from all the horrible stuff they've done. And like yeah, keeps... although sometimes in turn it's between spa- literal space Nazis, so <laughs> not not always the best example, but yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it also is like don't you know you can't think about it that much. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But yeah. Fair yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. 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 So okay, something something else that th- this is purely an expectation I brought to Molly Knox Ostertag, and I don't yeah. know. I was thinking about like I don't know where I got this. But I kind of expected her work to be more, I have in my notes here, uh, gay chaos vibes. Um, does that make sense to you? Do you <laughs> yes, know what I'm talking explain. about when I write that? I want to make sure I don't sound I, like a lunatic. I guess. I don't know. Kind well, of like, like, do you have an example of a, of a story that Night in has the, that I mean, Night in the Woods kind of has this, like, be gay, do crimes, right? The, like, yeah, okay. It, it's kind of like the expression of queerness. It, the expression of queer trauma, but through a little bit of like outlandish behavior but kind of in like a, well, fun, like... a fun party vibe rather than like real trauma and depression <laughs> right so like well, yeah i mean queer queer identities coming out through rebellion and like kind of that the the punk mm-hmm. vibe that can that can come out from that yeah, yeah. uh come out literally so like um... kim, kim and kim has <laughs> yeah. that a bit and, and so i think what i honed in on is like where i got this from i think i was just thinking of molly knox ostertag's husband nate stevenson uh in yeah. his work because it's in there a lot like it's a lot in his sub stacks it's it's in nimona right their graphic novel uh lumberjanes has it so like um i think I, I i don't know why i had like transposed that over to molly knox Luster tag but she has very little of that uh her work is really not i mean they've worked on on the same shows and like they've worked together a lot. Yeah. like it's fair to 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 tie their their work together but I, yeah no yeah. I, I see what you mean it's more like queer peace more than anything in, in her at least in the in the the witch boat trilogy it feels like it's about queer people yeah reconciling with identity it's it's more internal i guess it's less in your face from i don't know there's more of a like he still has to live in the family community by the end like it's mm-hmm, yeah. not really a rebellion in any way. It's more like they have to change in reaction to him, mm-hmm. and there's still conflicts that comes to that. But they still, I don't know, they still love each other. I feel like the the moment where you see the more like queer punk rebellion is in the third book when they're going to the big, big gathering of the different magic families, and like there is tension with external people, and so th- you can get more of that, you know, rebellion feeling or or. almost rivalry feeling sure yeah and you know there's interesting stuff i mean that that's the one where i most felt the like kind of a direct metaphor happening there with like transports is what i i I mean that's so like such an issue of the day and when this came out in 2019 it still was so like specifically like aster wanting to join in this sport as like the only boy witch and being like yeah you know we're happy like her parents being like we're happy that you're you know quote-unquote out but like are you sure you want to do this? Like, I kind of just want to protect you from, you know, people are going to be mad and people are going to scorn you for this and just kind of wanting to protect him from that. Um, that that felt like it was fine. Like, I'm, I'm not opposed to it, but that that is the one where I felt the closest, like, comparison to something. Uh, oh, I That's guess interesting it's I, not just trans. I, I guess you could have any anyone entering a, you know, public yeah, yeah. arena, someone, you know, a non-white person joining sports in a predominantly white environment. Yeah, yeah that's something I it's like. I didn't even thing. think of that, which is like I, I didn't even think about the a commentary on, on like trans people in sports and everything that's happening like currently. Uh, I didn't think of that, which is weird because it's everywhere. Um, but like to me, it felt I know because I didn't think of that. It felt more large and more more largely a commentary about like tra- how this how trans people have like kind of a choice of either staying quiet and and invisible for their own safety mm-hmm. or yeah. like being visible and being i don't know it comes back to the discussion about representation but like being living representation yeah and, I mean, in, in that yeah. way like yeah. 
inspiring other people, which is what happens by the end. But like, I, I mean, it's literally that talking tension about between those that, two. Yeah. yeah, like it literally is like one of the reasons that Aster wants to do it is her friend is like, you know, there might be kids in the audience, and like, if you were a kid and you saw a boy witch, wouldn't that mean something to you? And you get the like yeah. a very sweet little moment at the end where like her parents and her friends are clapping for her. A bunch of people are like muttering and jeering kind of and grumbling about it yeah. and then one little boy or a little a little girl who wants to shapeshift like is all excited and starts clapping right like yeah which is which was really really cute it yeah. was very sweet yeah like that kind of got yeah. me um yeah yeah that, that's really funny that it, that didn't occur to you i was yeah, like no, I mean, that's the that yeah. the most like in your face but um yeah, yeah, it's, uh, so, I mean, that, to, to go back to the kind of, like, it's not gay chaos vibes, it feels like, and I think this is, this is something I've seen through all of Molly Knox Ostertag's writing, is I feel like it's really rooted in, um, like, the everyday living through the, like, trauma and strain and anxiety of yeah. not quite fitting in, rather than, like, the kind of, like, aspirational, like feel good cozy you know like comfort core swagger <laughs> of some like ya and na stuff that i've seen which is like, something i really appreciate for it like it, it doesn't feel like it's just like like i feel like it simultaneously is living in like some kind of aspirational hopeful world but at the same time i don't think it feels like it's sugarcoating stuff for kids and being like yeah, yeah. it's just easy to be you and like everything's gonna be okay and it's like no it like it sucks and it's hard and you know, like, you have to struggle and people won't always be on your side. And I, you know, I, I appreciate something that feels like it's not, like, talking down to kids necessarily while it's still, like, meeting them on their level. Yeah. And I felt the same thing about Darkest Night last time, even though it's, like, for a slightly older audience. Uh, you know, I think, like, that one starts getting into the more specific identities. But at the same time, it also felt, like, similarly, like, not trying to pull punches while also not being, like, you know, total, like, misery porn you know um, yeah i mean it's certainly more I don't know, it's more young adults mm. where oh, this which boy sure, is very yeah. four kids oh yeah sure. yeah yeah i got you i got you yeah. yeah um so this uh let me let me see where this came out in uh relation to 17 i think other stuff 2017 2018 2019 yeah. is when the three of these came out um so like she i think this book this trilogy was part of the reason why strong female protagonist went on hiatus she was working on this yeah. and brennan was starting to work on dimension 20 um i think you can even see between book one and book two i really felt like i saw a lot of growth like book one's very strong i don't have complaints about it but i think like the fluidity of her writing in book two like the second book just felt like that much more at ease and she even says that in the end there's an afterword where she was like you know i didn't know it would get this easy right like this one just poured yeah. out of me <laughs> and i could feel that like i could feel like the second book just felt like that much more effortless um she's got a really a really like impressive knack for just like sweeping you along in the story right like yeah. grabbing you holding you in the story keeping you like engaged not you know using enough text when it's needed but kind of staying light on its feet when it should just be moving like really good at pacing she's not a um she's not a very showy artist right like there's very little you know splash pages there's not like big bombastic artwork like it's all very simple but i think it kind of does what it's setting out to do and just like moves through looks nice is colorful the characters are expressive um you can see like that she I mean, worked it's... on tv too because i think like yeah there feels like a really nice like tv pacing <laughs> to it like you could see this transitioning yeah. to you know each of these being a small arc of a kid's show um yeah they, they all feel like a very satisfying little arcs i mean to what you're saying about the how it's not showy i think like it's first of all if you have the book in your hands i mean at least the, the i don't know i never mind i have the english version i don't know why i was about to talk about the french version uh like it's <laughs> a kind of small formats kind of pocket formats mm -hmm. um which i think helps it feel I know it's not like a big fantasy quest. It's very much a small interpersonal story that gets interrupted by like big magic stuff here and there. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, those moments, because most of the book is in, I don't know, six to, to nine panel, or like four to, four to eight panels uh, pages mm -hmm. that are like small scenes. 
whenever the book rarely but sometimes stops to do a, like a full splash page of a monster or something like it's it's way more impactful and then then she gets to show off mm -hmm. uh, but even there it's never like a huge scene it's like like right now i have in my hands like a full two-page splash page and it's literally just a dragon and two characters and like in a small room but it still feels i don't know it's, it feels big because it is a, a big um a big um like change from the rest of the mm -hmm. of, of the pacing of the book yeah. Uh, yeah which i think yeah it's very successful at that um i, I do also think like to what you're saying about comparing the first one to the second one that feels more natural maybe the, the first one still has the like thankless job of putting the world together and being very uh, not efficient like because it it seems like more cold than it actually is, but like it is very much about that central metaphor. Mm -hmm. Like once yeah. you've, if you read the the like the the end uh, text, uh, like telling you what the story is about, you have a general idea of what the story is going to be. Like it doesn't have many big twists and turns or like uh, unexpected uh, twists. Um, but it, but I think the sequels have the opportunity to be like, okay, now we've said the world. We have resolved the initial arc that everyone expected. Now we can get into different directions, uh, which is which is fun to to see play out. I think, I think I expected where the first one went more than I did with the second and third one, which I think it's yeah, it's a uh, good. <laughs> yeah, no, I it, it worked. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like the first one has the the heavy load of having to yeah have the exposition that sets up the world for you, and then like. And you're right, it kind of feels like, that's what we were saying, like, the first book, when it's done, if there wasn't a sequel, you'd be like, yeah, that was a satisfying story on its own. And then the second yeah. and third one are like, oh, okay, let's, now that we have the world established, we'll just tell more stories in it, right? And it, it expands the world a little bit, but, like, you know, it's already, it, it's the classic sequel thing, right? The second movie gets yeah. to, to breathe because it doesn't have to do the origin story. Um, and I also think like the reason we've mostly like we've mostly talked about book one and book three so far, mostly book one and also book three, because those two are the one like we've talked about it. Uh, we've to talked a lot about the central queer metaphor. And I feel like the second one is the one that's less about that. And that's more and that is more about trauma than anything mm -hmm. else. Yeah. Uh, with like we, we get introduced to a new character that's going to the same school as uh, as his best friend. And she is, we learn that she is a witch, but she, she's alone. She's an orphan. She has a very emo aesthetic and, and attitude, very mean and not letting people in. Um, and alongside that, we also get the character of uh, Sledge, who, who was abducted by the antagonist in the book one and was like forced. He was a shapeshifter because he's a, a boy of the family and he was forced to transform by the antagonist. And now he has that... He has that trauma of not wanting to turn back into into a, an animal, and he just wants to stop doing magic and go to school like a normal kid, which I think is like, that's that's interesting. That's a new development. That's like, it's different from what Aster wants to do because it's it feels less about queer identity um, and more about trying to move on from trauma, which is interesting. Yeah, um, and yeah. I think and also, I don't know the. Family stuff. Some if you forget about the metaphor and just look at it from a, a fantasy standpoint, the family society in which they live is kind of weird, because <laughs> like it has the Hogwarts problem of they don't learn math, they don't learn English, they just oh, learn yeah, magic. Right, yeah, it's just a bunch of like <laughs> absolute idiots <laughs> who don't know how to. Yeah, like, and do they their own also laundry. have that <laughs> that very. Not redneck, but very rural, rural America, and staying out of modern society because, like, they live along modern society. Yeah. But for the first five, maybe ten pages, you you're only in their world, so you think it's kind of uh, I don't know, nineteenth century America, and then you learn that there's a modern town just next door, which is like, oh, why are they living like it's the nineteenth century? I, I I can forgive all of it. it. It doesn't really like you know. It's I mean, it is similar to Harry Potter where. You can read all yeah. seven of those books and you never think about, like, why aren't they learning arithmetic? Like, it's like, okay, well. Well, I mean, yeah, but, like, she also directly, uh, I think where I thought about it the most was in book two because she directly addresses it with the yeah. character being like, oh, I want to go to school. Like, to a real school, yeah. learn math. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's a good um, point. I yeah. guess I, I didn't really think about it too much because I was 
just in the metaphor of it but yeah 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 I, and i don't even think like it's actually a big criticism but i just like yeah fun thing uh, funny thing i thought about so. I, I like something i did like is that god what's her name it's not alice um the the, the character who comes in the second book the hidden witch yeah um, i was trying to find her name. it starts with an a um i don't think it's ariel it's ariel um ariel yeah ariel you know has this trauma she's a foster kid she's been like bumped around school she's bullied for being a witch people think she's kind of a weirdo little freak uh <laughs> that's kind of mean people think she's just this kind of creepy little weirdo who no <laughs> greasy well, not even really like she like she gets no, bullied maybe like... once uh, but yeah, otherwise yeah. she's yeah it's not really a fuck she, it's more like what she thought of herself and shutting herself out from other people that's it, the problem because like she's like yeah. a walking open sore right who like yeah and she reacts you know that both to affection and any kind of scorn in an outsized way. Like, if someone's really nice to her and she immediately, like, gloms onto them and, like, latches to them. Yeah. And then as soon as that, you know, she's got trust issues because of yeah. you know, being a foster kid and being, you know, whatever. The, her, her whole past here. But, like, something I appreciate is the first book is kind of her, like, learning to let people in and trust, you know, her new friends and et cetera, et cetera. It's very... I, I mean, I already said I kind of like the, the way of... You know, this, like, needing to shut your identity up causes, like, the, the, she has, like, um, they call it a fetch. It's, like, her shadow that she sends out on little missions, but eventually it will, like, consume her. And, like, I kind of like the, the metaphor of, you know, this, like, revenge and anger and stuff, like, hurts other people. Yeah, you can lash out, but ultimately you're also, like, hurting yourself. Um, yeah. I think that works. I really like that the third book is not like, okay, well, now Ariel has moved from column bad to column good. And now she is, you know, quote unquote, healed. <laughs> and I appreciate that, like, the third book, yeah, sometimes even though she's, like, more in the family and she's more integrated in, sometimes she still kind of reverts to her old ways and, like, lashes out. And a whole big thing here is her original family trying to reach out to her and she feeling rejected, you know, once she steps up to be a witch, all this stuff. I, I just always appreciate stories that don't treat, like, you know, trauma as a one-and-done thing to, like, once you figure it out, you're yeah. done, you're healed, like, it's over. So, like, I, I kind of like the, like, uh, yeah, the worst example of that in a movie I actually, I love is Iron Man 3, which is uh I, one of my yeah. favorite MCU movies. I love that movie. One of the, like, worst things about it is that, Tony Stark heals his PTSD, which I think is so well characterized for the first two thirds of that movie. I think it's so yeah. interesting the way that it deals with it and with the suit and everything. And then it's just like literally one scene. He's like, all right, I'm over it. And then it just is gone and never comes up again in that movie <laughs> or any other movie. <laughs> and it's, yep. it's such a yeah, bummer. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you, you kind of. Yeah, that movie is good. Yeah. That movie's great. What are you talking about? I mean, it's it's good, but it's like it has a lot of that problem of being. It has that one problem. Overall, mm -hmm. very good, and then doing a very weird and dumb thing. All right, well, um, yeah. let's let's not let's not fight, Charlotte. <laughs> um. Okay, so I think that's it. That's kind of all I have on this. Do you have anything else? Um. Not really. Like I I I have some like minor squibbles, but that more that are more about like specific world building stuff. Like I mean, and we, I've talked about some of it. But like overall, I mean, it's it's a really interesting and fun, uh, fun queer story for for kids. It's like I know we we talked about the the evolution of uh, of her art in especially especially in strong female protagonists because because of how it's a long form storytelling and with her art evol evolving basically every week. Mm -hmm. Um, so like it's a very good way of seeing how her art evolved. Mm -hmm. Here it's like. The actual, I don't know, the, I don't know, the actual quality of the art is, stays the same around the three because, yeah. I don't know, she, she'd already solidified her, her art in a way. I, um, I would agree, but you know what? I actually kind of think Darkest Night shows even more, like, evolution, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it's also her playing in a, not that different, but different genre that she's used to, even just having the black and white for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like, helps. Yeah. she has a very colorful style yeah and um, and darkest night i think lets her like re like i don't know i'm making this up but like working within a page in a grid right and having to work yeah. within you know the confines of a ya sized page you know might be more limiting to her in a way that 
Darkest Night and being able to do whatever she wants in that scrolling comic, uh, you know, really suits her her style. So, um, yeah. I, I, I got to call it one of your notes here. I think it's kind of interesting that you're saying, uh, I don't know how intentional it was, but Aster being under a curse that keeps him from talking about yeah. what's happening to him felt like a smart way to portray the inability to communicate with his parents about who you are. Um, I think that's kind of interesting. I think that's a, that's a good read. And then the other, the other one I want to point out, though, that I'm interested in talking well, about. Well, just, just to respond to that one, like, the reason I didn't yeah, mention it, because, like, it's a very minor moment in the actual comic, and it's not, li- it's not even actually about, like, wanting to do magic. It's about the fact that he saw the bad guy, and the bad guy just put a curse on him to keep him from telling that. Like, it felt more of a... I don't know, it didn't feel like that was a moment where you had to read something into it. Yes, it that's, like that's something that very the, magic the other side of this is, so you're, you're also having, you're at the central metaphor, invites us to look for other metaphors, uh, or yeah. metaphors in other aspects of the book, like the other kids being corrupted by Macassi, who's the great uncle. I don't know how intentional that is, parentheses, incels influencing recruiting young boys, but then is supposed to represent queer pain and toxic, not toxic masculinity, so I don't know. I, I, this is just your note. I'm not like putting these words in your mouth that you yeah, yeah. you literally put question marks and I don't know in this. Um, but I think that is, you know, one of the things that can happen when like the metaphor is loose enough that especially when it's such a simple story um, is that you can be like, OK, well, what is this supposed to mean? And sometimes it's not supposed to mean anything. I think sometimes it's just the plot mechanics right like yeah i mean just... i th- i think it's not even the metaphor being too loose is that the metaphor like everything in the comic isn't necessarily the metaphor and it doesn't have to be um but they, i don't know it it is a problem with metaphor based comics sure uh, including yeah. like stuff like x men where you I don't think it's a, it's a mistake on the part of the writer. It's just like, as the reader, you have to kind of let go of that and agree mm-hmm. that some of it is just fantasy stuff yeah. or even just like drama. And it's not necessarily about something. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because, God, there was, I really, I wish I, I didn't write it down, but there was some moment where I was like, oh, the like kind of subtextual implication of this is kind of, like racist <laughs> and i wish i remember what it was because i i don't think she huh. like i don't think she was being racist i don't even think she was being thoughtless necessarily um but it was kind of like oh you could pretty easily overlay this interpretation and it like it's kind of makes it's kind of queasy yeah but like yeah that that's kind of god i wish i could remember what it was so i don't sound like a lunatic anyway i don't want to like say the comic had this subtext or you know it was even like an unconscious accident. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just, it, I mean, it, there's a way of reading it that could lend that, you know, reading. Yeah. And to call out like the specific, so in the, the, the thing I was talking about with that, with, uh, with make a and the kids is like in the first book, he literally abducts boys and like, yeah. Trans forcefully transforms them into the animal forms and makes them eat like, make them eat like raw meat and kill animals and just like, and it it felt very ghibli, like, I don't know, um, spirited away in a way uh, with the, the parents transforming into pigs uh, where at the, in the beginning of the movie, I don't know, the, that very horrific transformation and I don't know, very, not gore really, but kind of body horror. Uh, I don't know, it feels weird. I don't I like it, but like it's cool that to have that in a in a in a story for children. It's like it's not violent, but it does make you uneasy in a way. I think that that was pretty clearly like a comment on how the Western male is being forced, like forced bimbofication and sissydom <laughs> is being like forced on our young boys by uh, yeah, liberals. <laughs> bimbofication is one of my favorite words it's so funny <laughs> yeah i can see that <laughs> um anyway uh yeah good comic uh i'm i'm yeah i'm glad uh, we're we're enjoying this so much <laughs> like I, again it was kind of like dipping our toes into someone that i felt like there was a decent possibility that i'd come in here and be like it's okay it's okay yeah. and you know like i'm not again these are uh ya graphic novels right they're never going to be something that i like absolutely love and adore just because of the very nature of what they are like they're but for what they are uh really enjoyable really good like very happy to have like read them and like have basically nothing but praise for them so 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's not that there are less meat on the bones, but it, well, there, there is. was. I think less... that's fair, right? I mean, in a kid's product, there's just going to be less. No, meat I on mean, the bones. yeah, I mean, my, I was going to compare it to to how much we talked about and discussed and analyzed the strong female protagonist yeah, last time, because right, yeah. that comic feels like it's about a lot of different things and a lot of very large, big ideas. And this is like, first of all, it's only one story, and it's, I mean, at least one overarching story. And it's it feels smaller in its scope and even in, in its ambition to some some degree, um, but yeah, I mean, it, lot, lots of interesting to uh, lots of interesting stuff to to unpack and uh, yeah, it's interesting to to see what Monarch Stack does in a more in a traditional comic book uh, publishing way yeah um that's not a sentence (laughs) (laughs) but compared to to her her comics yeah um yeah i think there are like not necessarily some growing pains but there's an an adaptation to a more restrictive in some ways uh form of uh, of of doing comics although i guess like strong female protagonist is also in a in single page uh, layouts strong female protagonist is is also made for discussion right it's so like yeah i mean it in and of itself is like it's discussions so like it is so it's so it feels like it's like lab created for to be talked about in a podcast (laughs) almost like with how much it you know wants to be more a discussion about those ideas even than like a strong story right like we didn't talk about that much but it's it's not that much of a story Right, like you're, the the thrills and chills and twists and turns are barely there. It's largely you know ideas and somewhat characters. It's more focused on the, yeah. the discussions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like we said, like it ended, and I don't feel like I'm kind of bummed that it ended. But it also I wasn't like no, but what's gonna happen to them? Because I kind of was like I don't know. Yeah. I'm not that invested in that aspect of it. So, all right. So next time. It's going to be our final episode on Molly Knox Oster Tag. We're basically wrapping it up. I think we missed a few little, like, we, I don't even know if we talked about it last time, but, like, uh, a few of her, like, porn comics that I don't think we actually we, brought we up. We quickly mentioned them, but yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, Alley Cat and uh, Queens of the Step, um, or Queens of the Steep. Um, they're both, like... No, I por- think that, honestly, I think that's just Wikipedia writing it wrong, because the comic is it, called Queens of the Steps. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, step, it's, it's called step, Queens like, of the Steps. the Mongolian yeah. steps. Um, yeah. Yeah, w- which are both, uh, like, one-off porn comics uh, that... Yeah, I, 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 sk- <laughs> I skimmed uh, Queens of the Step. Uh, <laughs> it was explicit, uh, more than I expected. So if you want to see, like, this very simple kind of cartoony childlike writing... Not childlike writing, child like drawing kind of god that sounds so rude I don't yeah mean, i don't mean childlike i know childlike is no. the s- s- very like right simple cartoony that. style but of like yeah. pretty hardcore sex <laughs> lesbian sex uh go well, read. pretty hardcore you're exaggerating it's not that there's like a lot like... of close-ups of like tongue on labia <laughs> it's you big baby i don't it's i don't phone coming what were you expecting it's well no i'm just fun. saying like what what's more hardcore okay if that's not hardcore what is hardcore charlotte you don't have to get that dirty um anyway uh-huh. I, th- I think that's basically all that we're we skimmed over yeah in her stuff and we'll we'll kind of have covered everything else uh next episode is going to be girl from girl from the sea shattered sea which i think are unrelated uh i don't think they're actually um, related and shattered oh no wait i have this written wrong it's shattered warrior and girl from the sea um shattered warrior and and then the um, God, what's it called? Dungeons and Dragons Dungeon Club Volume One. Um, kind of unfortunately, for at least from my point of view, uh, the girl from the sea is the only one that she writes. So Shattered Warrior and the Dungeons and Dragons one, her, her just doing the art, and uh, and somebody else is doing the 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 writing. Um, but I have both those. I got all three of them on my shelf. I'm looking at them right now, and uh, I'm excited to dive into those Dungeons and Dragons. I already read. Yeah. I think I said this last time. I was kind of meh on, but it's fun. It, it's kind of it feels like a slightly weaker version of like Witch Boy stuff, like a YA thing that just. Anyway, we'll talk about it next time. It's fine. Um, we uh, we're gonna be figuring out what we're gonna be doing after Molly Knox Ostertag soon. Charlotte and I, um, we do those discussion slash decision making for our next theme we do those in an, a bonus episode on patreon so if you want to want to go to patreon.com slash my marvelous year you get six months early access to this show you get access to our slack channel and you get access to bonus episodes both the one where we 
Uh, we bring th- each bring three ideas to the table, and then elimination style, one at a time, get rid of them until we only have one idea left. That's how we decided on Molinox Ostertag. That's how we'll decide our next theme. Um, and then we do bonus episodes where we kind of discuss the work as a whole, so uh, and kind of talk about our favorite issues, our favorite art, etc. Kind of give give awards out um, at the end of each theme. So uh, also, if you uh, would like to leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, um, this has replaced the My Ultimate Year feed on Apple Podcasts. So if you go there to it should just be extra issues on Apple Podcasts, leave a review there. We'd really appreciate that. And tell a friend. Uh, if you have a friend who's into any of the comics, we're covering a huge wide array of comics. So if people are into, you think someone would like a series that we're doing, um, let them know about it. Uh, music yeah, is music is by oh god every time i forget fm skyline thank you FM. i love the song i just <laughs> always forget <laughs> the name um and i think that's gonna do it charlotte thank you so much what a great conversation with you yeah thank you yeah. good discussion yeah yeah good thought <laughs> good thought charlotte good thought charlotte good is thoughts. what we call her <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, and i'll see you in the funny papers see you in the funny papers <laughs> that's an outro <laughs> you have to just come up with another one if you don't like it. <laughs>